So as we enter into 2024, uh, I want to first off commend you. Thank you for coming and braving the cold weather. And I'm seeing some of you who usually come occasionally, but I'm seeing you come every week as I laid out that um, challenge to you the first of the year to make a New Year's resolution to say, I'm going to come to church every Sunday. And so thank you all for doing that. I commend you. I applaud you. I want to encourage you to keep doing it. As you keep doing it, it's going to become more of a habit to you, and it'll become something that'll be be something that you want to do and feel like if you don't do it, man, I've really missed out. Because if you don't come to church, there's something about coming to church, right? And if you've missed a Sunday, you go, man, I just, I just feel, I just feel not, I just kind of missed out on some stuff here. And so don't get in that habit, stay in the habit of coming to church. Unless, of course, you're sick, you're not able to come. It's good to see the guys back after a few weeks of them not being well. And there's a lot of sickness going on in the, in the church as far as colds and all that stuff. So if you're sick and you are like that, stay home. We don't want to, we want to be a sharing church and a giving church, but not in that way. Okay. Watch it online. Okay. Very good. Um, I still can't get over that video with Pastor Joseph. <laughs> A little scary. So we looked at Romans chapter 13 uh, at the first of the year. Actually, January, December 31st is the message that I shared about living our lives with eternity in mind. And, and Romans chapter 13 implores us uh, that it's high time for us to cast aside the deeds of darkness and put on Jesus because the time of his appearing is at hand. It says it in Romans 13. So the night is almost over. The day is nearly here. The, the return of Christ is imminent. And so in all that we say, in all that we do, in all that we think, we need to look through the lenses of God's kingdom purposes. And let's be intentional to place the things of God first, knowing that really that's all that's going to last, the things of eternity. Um, it's being a wise steward of our time, which we looked at a few Sundays ago. And then last week, we looked at our talent. And then today, we're going to look at our treasure. It's all about our time, talent, and treasure that the Lord has entrusted to each of us for His glory. Now, we've all been given the same amount of time, which we looked at a few weeks ago, 24 hours of, for each of us in every single day. Uh, the first week we saw how there was a blessed order and an unblessed order as it relates to the time that God has given each of us. If you remember, I had that display up here with those four different items of the, uh, the large ball, the little marbles, the sand, and the water. And each of those represented, Jesus represented the, with the large ball and the relationships with the marbles and the, the obligations that we had with that sand that goes in and then the fun of the, the activity, the leisure time, that was the water. And a lot of times we flip the order around. That's the blessed order is Jesus first. Make sure we have room in that in our lives for Jesus first. Put him first in everything. Then those relationships around that and then the obligations of our jobs and responsibilities goes in next. And then there's plenty of room for the fun. You saw how that water went in there when you filled it up in the right order and you're going to have a place for all of them. But the opposite, the unblessed order, is if you do everything in kind of cattywampus order, there's no room for Jesus. As you saw, Jesus was kind of floating on the top. And, and by the way, Tim, you mentioned this too on that service, is that since that Jesus was on the very top, remember that one? Any little gust of wind, any little storm, any little trouble, off goes Jesus, right? Because he's not solidified in your life. But I like the part that, the, the first part, the blessed order, because when you put Jesus in the center, everything revolves around him. 
Jesus touches everything. He touches your relationships. He, he impacts your relationships. He impacts your, your job and your schooling and all the responsibilities. He, he touches and impacts the fun stuff and the leisure stuff so that you don't have to go and repent later, you know, about the stuff that you do. Because Jesus impacts every part of our lives. That was a couple of weeks ago. And then we've all been given various talents and giftings and abilities, again, all for God's glory. We looked last week at the contrasting lives of Luke and Demas. Luke, who gave his talents to the Lord, and Demas, who started strong for Jesus, but then he loved the world more, and something happened to where he walked away from the Lord, and we were encouraged to start and live and finish strong for Christ, using our talents and abilities that he's given us for his eternal kingdom. So today, I want us to conclude our stewardship series by looking at our treasure, and I've entitled each each message these last few weeks as a question. And so today's question that I want to ask, that I want you to ask yourself is this, uh, and it's time mismanagement. Are we managing our time well? Or is our time being, actually a couple of weeks ago it was time mismanagement. Last week it was talent misengagement. Today is treasure misinvestment. How are we investing the treasure that God has given us? Now today I'm not here to get your money. This is not a message on tithing, so you guys can release your hands off of your wallets and keep your, you know, move it away from that. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to try to get your money. It's not your money anyway. It's God's money, but I'm not here to talk about tithing. It, it reminds me of a pastor who was trying to raise money for badly needed repairs in his sanctuary. This is a true story. Uh, one, of the, one of the more wealthy members of the congregation was also the least prone to give. And uh, when this fundraising day arrived, the pastor prayed for a special offering for that particular day. He was praying. And as, as he was praying, a piece of the plaster from the ceiling broke loose, and it fell directly on the wealthy member's head. Yeah. The stunned members looked around and saw what happened and looked at the man, and the man suddenly stood up and he exclaimed, I'll give $1,000. The pastor, the thrill, he was thrilled, and he was seizing the moment. And so the pastor shouted out, hit him again, Lord. I'm 99.9% sure that none of our ceilings going to fall on us today, but I do hope that the Holy Spirit will speak to us as to how we can better steward the treasure that God has entrusted in our care to wisely invest for His kingdom purposes. Uh, I want to give you some statistics here about treasure as far as what God's Word says. Did you know that there's about 600 references in the Bible about prayer? That's a lot of references. Prayer must be very important. And it is. There's also about 500 references in the Bible about faith. Faith is important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many would believe and agree with me that prayer and faith are two key elements that are important in our walk with Jesus? Amen? Sure. Well, did you also know that based on those statistics, that there are 2,350 references in the Bible to money? One out of every 10 words in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about riches, wealth, and material possessions. Jesus talked about financial stewardship more than heaven and hell combined. And over half of Jesus' parables addressed money matters. So apparently, Jesus thinks that money is a big deal because it is. He also said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And as I said repeatedly, I've said this constantly, with Jesus, no matter what the issue is in our lives, 
It's always a matter of the heart. Always. Heart disease physically is a big deal in our nation. It's the number one killer. But spiritually, there's an epidemic of a heart disease as well in the church. Heart disease as it relates to the things of the Lord and our relationship with Him, particularly our treasure, it's the number one killer in a relationship with Jesus. It's like what happened with Demas last week. He loved the world more than he loved the things of, the, of, of God. Today, the Lord wants to provide for us some healing medication as it relates to our spiritual hearts. Some corrective surgery to make our hearts healthy and strong again for Jesus in the area of our treasure. So today, I want you to fasten your seatbelts because we're going to go over every single one of those 2,350 scriptures. No. <laughs> but I, I am going to cover seven things, and I've got a lot to cover today. Uh, how do you really whittle it down, really, honestly, at 2,350? How do you whittle it down? Well, there's seven things that I want to talk about this morning as it relates to our stewardship of treasure. And I hope you're going to take notes. Please, 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 if you've never taken notes, today, take notes. Start today. Write these things down. These are seven key, seven fundamental things that I'd like us to consider today that I'm hoping will help us to examine our hearts as it relates to how we engage with our money and how we can better steward our treasures for God's kingdom. Here's the first thing, and this is the first, like the foundational one. We need to, number one, recognize God's ownership of everything. God owns, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that pearl of great price. He owns everything. He owns every dollar in your bank account, every dollar in your wallet. He owns the clothes that are on your back, the house that you live in. He owns the car that you drive. He owns all of your possessions inside of your house. He owns your abilities. He owns your body. He owns everything. Psalm 24, 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I think that's pretty comprehensive. That leaves nothing out of what God owns. His name is on the title deed of every single thing in the world and in the universe. It reminds me of, a, of, a, of another story. A scientist told God, we no longer need you. We have advanced to the point that we can create anything that we need with our own ingenuity. God said, okay, well, you want to put that to the test? And the scientist said, sure. What do you have in mind? And God said, well, I'll tell you what, let's each make a man. Just like I made Adam, I'll go first. Here we go. Then God created man from the dirt. And the scientist, well, he leaned down and he picked up a handful of dirt so he could replicate uh, the work of God. And God said, wait a minute, go get your own dirt. God owns everything. God owns everything. God has created everything. I want you to think about it for a moment. Just, if you would just look at your shoes. Everybody, hopefully, has got some shoes on. If you don't, man, let's take an offering for some shoes on this cold morning, all right? I want you to look at those shoes that you're wearing. Just look at them for a second. God created the person who designed those shoes. God created the person who sewed those shoes together. God created the people who invented the machines that made the laces and the eyelets and the soles and the padding for those shoes. God created the cow who contributed the leather for those shoes. God created the economic systems that gave us transportation and stores and money to buy those shoes. And God has given us the smarts to know that they go on our feet and not on our heads. And he's given us the health to wear them. You see, Pastor, they're just shoes. But think about 
God and all of the different steps from idea to design to production to wearing them, all of those things come from God. And that's just shoes. You can apply that way of thinking to every aspect of your lives. He causes the crops to grow. He makes the sun to rise and set. He brings about the seasons. He created and placed every single star exactly where he wanted them. But then he also knows how many hairs that we have left on our head. From the outer edges of the massive unknown universe to the microscopic activities still yet to be discovered, God knows all, he sees all, and he owns all. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For in him, for in God, all things were created. Things in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. For whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's something that I preached about this some years ago, but I, I just... I want to point this out today based on what this says, this last few words, and in him all things hold together. You ever wonder how your body is held together? Why doesn't it just kind of melt into a blob, into a pool? But we're actually, we can count on our bodies kind of holding together, right? All of our cells and everything together. Scientists have recently discovered something very interesting, that the cells of our body are held together by something called laminin. If we didn't have laminin, our bodies would just fall apart. Laminin is the glue that keeps us knit together. I love how God-shaped laminin. Do you want to see a picture of what laminin looks like? Go ahead, show it. Oh, it's in the shape of a cross. I love even how in our bodies, God created something in the shape of a cross to remind us that in Him... God holds all things together. In Jesus, all things are held together. It's his cross that is is holding us together and bringing us even back to relationship with God the Father. Don't you love it? In Christ, all things hold together. God owns everything. He has the title deed to the universe. God even gives us the ability to make money. Did you know that? That job that you have, that ability that that you have to make that money? Did you know God gave you that ability? How so? Deuteronomy 8.18 says it. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You couldn't make a dime if God didn't give you the ability to do it. And yet the dime that you make, you think it's all yours. No, it goes back to he and gives you the ability to make it. It's a perspective shift. So let's look around and let's settle once and for all that God owns everything. Say that with me. God owns everything. Say it again. God owns everything. Say it. God owns everything, including you, including your finances, including your treasure. He owns it all. We must get this settled in our hearts as the foundational thing. And when we do, we can move to the second principle, and that is this, number two, to be content. Be content. Be content. Write that down. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Now, it doesn't say to keep your lives free from money. It doesn't say to go out and just sell everything you have and live with nothing. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 talks about the love of money. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Money is not the root of evil. It's the love of money. 
that it's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager to have money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I, I wonder if even when Paul was writing that, if he was thinking about Demas, you know? He went off to make some money, to make a name for himself. You know, they say money makes a great servant, but makes a horrible master. And that's true. We can either have money, or money can have us. It's all a matter of our heart, and it's all a matter of being content in whatever situation that we're in. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Again, Paul writing this, and Paul has coming from a place of wealth, and he's also coming from a place of he's experienced great uh, need. And so he wrote this based on experiences that he had in his life. And he says, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I also know what it's like to have plenty. He experienced both ends of the equation and everything in between. But then Paul says, I've learned the secret, though, to being content. And obviously, it's not in having plenty, and it's certainly not in having lack. But I've learned the secret to being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying that I've learned the secret of my contentment because my contentment is in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul's contentment was not in things. Paul's contentment was in Christ. The world's mantra is those who die with the most toys wins. Isn't that true? Those who die with the most toys wins. But success in God's kingdom is all about souls. It says in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Things are going to fade away, church. Things are going to rust. Things are going to go out of style. I mean, just look at some of those old TV shows from the 1970s. You think, good grief, I can't believe I wore polyester bell-bottoms. You thought you were good looking back then, weren't you, huh? I mean, we thought we were hot stuff, ladies, right? Them old hairdos going way up like that, huh? Man, you were, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for, right? Things go out of style. And I promise you those polyester bell-bottoms are not coming back into style. Just go ahead and put, give them to the Goodwill. They're not coming back in, okay? Lord, please don't let them come back in style. Okay. <laughs> you know, we work so hard for things today that end up in the yard sale tomorrow or fought over when we die. There's a place of contentment, church, and that contentment is found in a relationship, an ongoing, daily, growing, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the place of contentment. Things will never satisfy you. Jesus will always satisfy you. You'll realize that when you find Jesus, that you have found everything that you will ever need. The peace that you need, the strength that you need, the hope that you need, the joy that you need, the purpose that you're looking for can only be found, truly found, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6 Verses 6 through 8 says, but godliness, that's a relationship with Jesus, striving after being sanctified in him, pursuing a relationship with him that helps you to just get, get all that stuff in your life cleaned up and being more like him and all that we say and do and think, that's godliness. Godliness with contentment, man, put those two things together. It's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. You ever see the U-Haul behind a hearse? No, you have not. 
But if we found food and clothing, we'll be content with that. The only thing that we can take with us, church, did you know there's something we can take with us? Souls for the kingdom. It's what we do for Christ. That's what we can take with us. So let's be content. And let's expend our best energies on telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Fertile spiritual wombs in 2024. Here's the third principle that I want to give you this morning. So God owns everything. Be content in what you have. Third, save for the future. Save for the future. It's practical. It's wise. Proverbs points us to the wisdom of this tiny little insect called an ant. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Go to the ant, you one who is not planning for the future. Go to the ant, those who don't consider it wise to save. Go to the ant. Consider its ways and be wise. Little old ant is so wise. It's wiser than most grown-up human beings. It has no commander. It has no overseer. It has no ruler. Yet, it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. It's amazing. Let me give you some statistics. Statistics show that about half of Americans could not cover an emergency of $1,000 without turning to a credit card. Maybe that's you. In other words, half this congregation. Statistically speaking, half of this congregation, if something were to happen, a car were to break down, hot water heater were to give out, you name it, you don't have enough money to cover it. You got to turn to your credit card, which is almost probably already maxed out. That's half of what's going on in our world. Half of our nation is experiencing that sort of financial stress and dilemma. Uh, and by the way, I'll get to the credit card issue in just a few moments. But the fact is that Proverbs is trying to convey to us that emergencies will happen. Now, the old save for a rainy day saying is true. Now, I want to also address this because a lot of, I think, especially in the Pentecostal realms, charismatic Circles say, I'm just going to believe God's going to provide. I mean, God is good. And man, I'm a believer. I'm a Jesus. God, he's my daddy God. He's going to take care of me. Amen to all of that. He will take care of you. He is your daddy God. He will provide. He is your provider. And we can just trust that things are not going to break down. We can trust that things will not wear out. We can trust that things won't need repairing. And we can then not save anything because we're just going to have faith. But we need to balance our faith, church with some real practical prudence and wisdom. It's called self-restraint. It's called wisdom to think ahead. God gives us all those things, not just walk in faith, but also save for the rainy day. Because have you ever thought that maybe God is providing all of your needs for that repair, for that car, or for that replacement of the water heater by having you set aside funds for such an event? Maybe that's the provision instead of, you know, it's funny, we've put money aside when, while things are going well, while we're still employed. Let's put things aside while we're still employed, while we're health is still strong, while, while the sun is still shining. And when the need arises, the money is there, not in the form of a credit card or some sort of GoFundMe drive because you've not planned ahead. Have you ever seen so many GoFundMe drives in all your life? They didn't plan for that funeral. I didn't expect I was going to die. I didn't plan for that car to break down. So I, I, 
All these sort of things, you know. Hey, listen, life happens. Things break down. We get sick. We die. Things happen. Don't leave it to your relatives to take care of your stuff. You take care of it. Go fund me. How about go fund yourself? How about let's go fund ourselves? Let's put some money back, huh? So they're not dependent on someone else to bail us out. Let's stop walking around with our hands out. But let's take that money out of our own savings that we've set aside. Consider the ant. Oh, pastor, that's not scriptural. Oh, yeah, it is. You want to give me, I'll give you an example. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, was given an interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of drought. Look it up, Genesis chapter 41. So they set aside enough grain in the seven abundant years so that when the seven years of drought came, they had not only enough to provide food for their people, but also for the nations surrounding them that were experiencing the need. I'm going to read it to you, starting in verse 47. It says, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields uh, surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping record because it was beyond measure. I could just see him just kind of throwing out his his abacus and his, his little, you know, whatever. We got so much now. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, though. Uh Uh-oh. I thought God was a good God who gave us all, you know, took care of our needs. He is. That's why he said, there's seven years of plenty. You better get ready because there's going to be seven years of drought. So the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said, just as the dream, just as God had warned. There was the famine in all the other lands as well, but the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out. To Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. And when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And if you read the rest of the story, that's where Israel and all of his sons it was experiencing drought there as well. They had to come to Joseph in Egypt. And through that, connect the dots to the Messiah. To connect the dots to us. Because Joseph and the Egyptians and all of that, they decided to put seven years back for the abundance because they knew that the, heart, the, the, uh, the, the famine was coming. That's a direct connection to us being able to experience what we're experiencing here today because they used that wisdom back then and followed God. Let's be the sort of people, church, who not only set aside enough for our needs, but also for those around us. Wouldn't that be nice? Church, I promise you that this is the truth. We are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed in your life not to hoard it, but to give out, which takes us to our next stewardship principle of our treasure, and that's number four, give generously. So we're going to put some money back for a rainy day, but also let's have enough to give generously. Mark 12, verse 41 through 44 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So this is what I want to say about giving generously. Generosity is relative. 
Some of us may only have a few dollars to give. But if it's out of your poverty, if it's out of your need, then it's more than a billionaire that would be sitting in this congregation who gives a million dollars. It's all a matter of the heart, as I said. You know, we need to be careful with our attitude in giving. Pastor, I don't have any money to give. Do you have a dollar? Do you have something? Do you have anything? Give it. Start there and watch that attitude and that heart to give grow in you. I think many of us hold onto our dollars too tightly. Uh, or maybe we look around and see what others can do for us. Or, or maybe we live our lives figuring out what we can extract from others rather than how can we invest into them. I, I think there's some of us here in this congregation who would not mind lending a helping hand, but won't even entertain the thought of pulling out a $20 bill to bless somebody. We just won't go there. But I want you to listen to this. Proverbs eleven twenty four says it this way. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Now, what is that saying? In, 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 in 2024 terms, let me rephrase it. If you hold tightly to your money, you're going to lose it. But if you give your money freely, you'll gain more. Now, that does not make sense in the world's economy, but it's how God's economy works. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, I'm sorry, for, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So whatever it is that you give, that's the receptacle that you give to him. He's going to put it, bring it back to you in that receptacle. By the way, we're, we are not a receptacle. We're a conduit. You know the difference between a receptacle and a conduit? A receptacle is, has a bottom to it, and it hoards, it collects. A conduit has a hole in the bottom of it. It goes right through. If God can get it through you, God will get it to you. I promise you that. He's looking for people that he can bless through. Because God is also a wise, wise steward of his resources, is he not? He knows who he can trust, and he's constantly testing our hearts. This reminds me of a story of a, of a pauper. And he heard that the king was coming into his little town. And the pauper, as the king was coming by, shouted out, give me some of your riches. Expecting to receive something, the king instead looked to him and said, how about you give me something first of yours? Well, the pauper, he was offended and he was put out by the king's request, at first at least. He looked at his little bag of things that he had in there some pretty valuable and important stuff, and he pushed all that stuff aside, some of the larger items, and he scrounged up a few little breadcrumbs that he had at the bottom of the bag, pulled them out, and he gave them to the king. Well, after the king left, the pauper looked in his bag at what the king had done, and the pauper saw a few tiny pieces of gold the same size as the crumbs that he gave the king. The measure that you use is the measure that you'll receive. And by the way, we don't give to get. 
I'm not sitting here saying, man, if you give money, God's going to bless you with a bunch of money so that you can just go and do whatever you want to with it. We don't give to get. That's the wrong heart attitude. We give to receive so that we can give out more. It's that conduit. God wants you to have a generous heart. And he wants you also to give gladly and joyfully. So there's an attitude that's going on with this as well. 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 9, rather, verses 7 through 11 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. How many just, how many just hurts them? It's just like, oh, this, oh, here. Painful. Ouch. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, it doesn't say so that in some things and a few times, it doesn't say in most of the things most of the time, so then all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You can kind of see the concept there. As I'm sowing in, I get more. And you know, the, the, the whole concept of seed time and harvest is you plant what you plant, you're going to get in kind and more of. So if you plant stinginess, you're going to get in kind and more of. But if you plant generosity, you're going to get in kind and more of. That's the principle of God's kingdom. So he's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and you'll be enriched in every way, every way. I like how these are absolute words here. Always, every way, so that you can, why? So that you can hoard it and, and buy a bunch of stuff for yourself and just sit on it and not just do anything with it except just say, thank you, God, that this is mine and I'm not going to let anybody have it. No. It says, so that you'll be generous on every occasion. Generosity. And through your generosity is going to result in giving thanksgiving to God and glory to Jesus Christ. I love that. You see, God blesses us to be a blessing in every way. So let me encourage you to work on this. If you don't have that in your heart, if you're holding on to your money tightly, I promise you, the Bible says very clearly, you hold on to it, you're going to lose it. You give it out, you're going to get more so that you can continue to be a blessing. Give generously. Give gladly. Give regularly. Give as unto the Lord and he'll keep blessing you so that you can be a blessing because you cannot outgive God. Now here's another part of this and this is the fifth... Uh, the fifth um, principle that I want to talk to you about as it relates to our treasure that God has stewarded to our care. We need to invest wisely. Invest wisely. Now, giving generously is important and giving generously is good. But church, we also need to use wisdom into where we invest it. Right? I, I don't want to just give without using some wisdom as to where that money is going. Let me read to you in Matthew chapter 25. This is a parable that Jesus, uh, one of those parables that Jesus talked about about finances. Starting at verse 14. It says, again, it's going to be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, and each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, said, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out, hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of money, the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what this is saying is that we need to look around at the different soils. And if physically, if you even realize that, there's some really good seeds to plant in particular soils, but then there's some other soils that are rocky or sandy or hard. Those are not good soils to plant. I, I, I can't imagine if you were a farmer that you would look up at a snowy mountaintop and say, now that's a good place to plant some corn. You would not do that. You would look at a nice low area where there's plenty of water and it wouldn't freeze and kill the crops and say, now there's a couple of acres right there that I can really do well with. And you'd plant the corn kernels there in that field. The same goes with where we sow our treasures, church. And I can say this, that faith, church, is good soil. We're making a difference locally. We're making a difference throughout the world. And I want to thank you, by the way, for your faithful sowing into the work of your church. But there's also some other ministries. There's some parachurch ministries that the Lord has laid on your hearts to faithfully give over the years, and you continue to do so. I just want you to make sure that it's good soil. Are they proclaiming the gospel? Are they preaching Christ? Are they helping and loving and reaching out to the last and the least? Are they advancing the kingdom of God or their kingdom? Ecclesiastes 11.1 says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. I've always loved this scripture because my, in the way that I think, I'm thinking, yeah, cast your bread upon the waters and it's going to come back. Yeah, soggy. But that's not what this is talking about. What this is saying is, is that you invest your money wisely and then watch it come back multiplied. Take your monies, earn some good interest. Guys, there's some 5.5 interest out there all day long you can get on that money. Start a business and grow it. Buy some real estate and improve it. Take your treasure and wisely double it over time. God will help you with that because it's not like God that gives us the ability to make money. He gives us the wisdom to know how to invest it wisely. Increase your monies. Be diligent with it. Then sow into God's kingdom, into souls, into good soil, because everything is connected to a what? A soul. Everything that we do is connected to a soul. And the Holy Spirit can help you with this and will help you with this if you ask him. 
And I pray that God gives you favor as you invest with souls in mind. It's hard to do this if we're in debt, by the way. Which takes us to the next principle, number six. Avoid debt. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Our country is in big trouble. We are, for the very first time in our nation's history, the last few months, as individuals, cumulatively, we are $1 trillion in credit card debt. It's a lot of money. And by the way, the government, as the United States of America, has now spent more than we take in to the tune of $32, $33 trillion, where it's just moving up every day. This just takes my breath away. It's unsustainable. We are a nation corporately and individually enslaved to debt. Debt will make you a slave. How many knows that the credit cards that you guys use over the years, maybe some of you, you're going to buy something a year ago, and you're going to pay $100 for it because it was on sale for 20%. And five years from now, when you finally get it paid off because you're paying the minimum, you'll pay 500 bucks for that thing. Now, that sounds stupid, doesn't it? I would never do that, Pastor. That's just not a good financial decision. But we do it all the time. It's just, we just plop that credit card down to buy the stuff. It's no pain. It's just easy. Here you go. Here's that little piece of plastic. And I get to walk out of that store with that cool little thing that I couldn't live without. But the rude awakening comes when we get the credit card bill and we realize that we've charged more than we can pay back because we did that plopping down the credit card not just once, not just twice, but 20, 30, 40 times. And all of a sudden, you get this big old whopping bill at the end of the month. You say, how did that happen? No pain. But here comes the pain. And the cycle begins to turn vicious. Because right now, the credit cards are at 27, 28, 29% interest. And some of you are shaking your heads like, yeah, I know, I get it every month. And then they say, well, all you got to do is make your minimum payment. But you know, if you make your minimum payment, say you're paying $100 a month, 80 of it's going to interest, 20 of it's going to principal. If you make the minimum payment on whatever debt that you have, how long do you think that's going to take to pay it off? I don't know. You might as well ask your grandchild because they're the one that's going to have to pay it off for you because you're going to be dead and long gone. It's going to take decades to get it paid off. And the CEOs of these credit card companies are laughing at you and me all the way to the bank. You are slave to debt if you have credit card debt. You are in bondage and you can feel it. It's a very real feeling of bondage, is it not? And I'm just going to speak very frankly and bluntly to you, but I'll say this in love. Because of your greed because of your lack of self-control and because of you falling for the market schemes that tap into your discontentment, it creates a perfect storm and it gives you a place of bondage to debt because you just can't say no. If you're in debt today, whether it be credit cards or other sort of revolving debt that's eating you alive, I'm going to make a personal offer to you this morning. I would like to help you I can help you. I can sit down with you in my office and I can go over some stuff with you 
Don't be embarrassed. Don't be humiliated. I will not embarrass you. I will not judge you. I will not make you feel ashamed. We're going to look and see what's going on. We can create a plan and we can go forward and we can get out of debt. That's my offer that I make to you. Just call the church office. We can set up a time to meet. I promise I'll do that with you. I would love to do that for you. I just want to help you. And, and I can say this too. If you are in debt and there's more month than money, I promise you that there's hope. I promise you that there's a way out. I promise you that there's a rescue. Now, if you'd rather not call me because of whatever reasons, you don't want to get together, just write these things down. I'm going to give you some pointers. If you'd rather not meet with me, but you still feel like, man, I got to get these credit cards paid off, just don't let anybody see you. Just kind of write like this so no one sees you, okay? Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you six or seven quick things to write down. First, this is going to be, all these are going to be painful. And if you, don't, if you don't agree with them, that's to your demise. But this is going to help you. First, close out all your credit cards. That doesn't mean you're not going to have a balance on them. Just that means you're not going to be able to use them. Close them out. And then pay down the balances over time. The reason you're closing them out is because you're not going to be tempted to use them again when you see that little, hey, I got a little bit of credit that I can use. No, they're closed out. You can't use them anymore. So close them out and pay them down over time. Second, don't open any more new credit cards. Well, those are closed out. I'll just open. I got, a, I got an offer in the mail. How many knows if you, if you open up one credit card, you're going to get 20 offers in the mail? 20 times a day over... Tw- 20 years. Everybody wants your money. Everybody wants you to be in debt with them. So get those things and guess what you do with them? You shred them. Don't even open them up. Don't even open them up. Well, that's a pretty good deal. No, just shred. Okay? You're going to get these credit card offers. Don't open up any new credit cards because if you do, that's going to defeat the purpose. You're just chasing your tail. Third, create a budget. Budget is not a four-letter word. It's not a bad word. Budget. Everybody say budget with me. Did that hurt? It shouldn't hurt. It's a good word. Budget. It's a tool. Budget is a guide. It's something that you put on paper, that you put in front of you, that helps you to see your expenditures as well as your income. It's a good thing. Keeps it in front of you. Fourth, see what you can do to decrease your expenditures and increase and or increase your income. You've got to create a gap between what you're spending and what you're bringing in. If you've got to get a second job, do it. If you've got to cancel some of your monthly subscriptions and what have you, do it. If you've got to eat hot dogs more than steak, do it. But you've got to find some place to open up a little space and increase that, 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 that gap there. And then you're going to th- then take that money and put it towards your credit cards. Then stick with your budget. It's going to be hard. But it's going to be worth it because it's going to develop character. It's going to develop discipline. It's going to develop some things that you need to develop. And it's going to rewire you and how you have your relationship with your credit cards and with debt. It's going to give you a healthy respect for debt. Here's the fifth thing. Take the difference of that and begin to throw as much money towards your debt as possible. I just said that. Sixth, start with the credit card that has the lowest balance. And I'm assuming you probably have three or four credit cards. Take the one that has the lowest balance if you're in debt. Take the one that has the lowest balance, pay the minimum of the others, but then focus on paying the lowest balance first. Take everything and just throw it at that 
small credit, at least a balanced credit card. Once that's paid off, take that amount plus your minimum payment on that, throw it at the next one, and then so, and it snowballs until you get all of your credit cards paid off. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? All of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, I have no credit card debt. Isn't that be great? Keep a running total to encourage you in your progress. If you see it in front of you, you can realize, wait a minute, hey, I paid that off in four months. I paid that off in six months. Circle some dates on the calendar. Circle some months to say, here's my goal. In November of this year, I'll have these credit cards paid off. And look towards it. Let that be your incentive. Celebrate those small wins and thresholds with a cupcake or something. The goal is to get out of debt. The goal is to stay out of debt. And then, seventh, then you can put money back for a rainy day. Then you be the credit card. If the car breaks down, if the hot water heater goes out, you're pulling money out of your savings account. The money that you're having in there, you're not paying interest on, you're earning interest on. That sounds good. We flipped it around, haven't we? I'm not paying 29%. I'm getting back 5%. That's a good swing. That's 35% difference right there. I'll take it. And then it gets fun after that. By the way, if you're hot water heater breaks down and you have to take out $300 out of your savings, put it back in there so you have at least, you know, just put it back in. Don't deplete that. Just put it back in. You be the credit card. You pay yourself back. And then it gets fun because you have all that extra money that you were paying towards all your credit cards. Two, three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month. You can take that to give generously and invest wisely as you learn to be content. Does this make sense to you? Which brings me to one more principle as we're all stewards, stewarding our finances, and that's this, number seven. Seek godly wisdom. Not just any kind of wisdom. Some worldly wisdom out there. Seek godly wisdom. Proverbs 19, verses 20 and 21 says, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. Now, church, I don't have all the answers. I have blind spots. There's some things I know, but much I don't know. And I need others to speak into my life. And I appreciate the wise input that people speak into me. Because your experience is invaluable to me. Because your vantage point and your creativity is something that I would have never seen or thought to do. I need that. You need that. We need that. We are not an island. We are not to ourselves self-sustainable. We need each other and God has given us one another as the body of Christ because there's some different things that you can say and help me with and vice versa. Proverbs 24, 6 says, surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. And if you're trying to get out of debt, that is a war. If you're trying to pay off your credit cards, there's a war, there's a battle in place because there's going to be constant temptations and constant sort of drawing to different ways. But you've got to be disciplined. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. I think the more wise people you can have speak into your situation, the better. There's much value in wise counsel. But also be careful who you invite into your circle, into your situation. You really need to seek godly wisdom and glean as much as you can from those people and be careful who else you have speak into your life. And the Holy Spirit, again, will give you discernment on that. Find out what the Lord's plans and purposes are for your life because he has a plan and a purpose for you. And I promise you that his plan and purpose is not for you to be in bound, bound in debt, to not be a slave to debt. 
That's not his plan for you. You don't want to go in the opposite direction against the wind. Do you want to go the opposite direction of God's plan for your life? I think not. Find the direction of the Lord and go that way. Wise counsel from godly men and godly women you can trust that have your best interest at heart will bring you assurance, will bring you strength to help you to know how to steward well not only your treasure but also your talent and also your time for God's kingdom purposes. Pastor, how do you get wisdom? James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and he'll be given and it will be given to you. So God's not saying, you're such a stupid idiot. I just can't believe you did all that stuff. I'm just going to just really just, I'm so disappointed in you and you'll never amount to anything. God never says those things. That's what that talks about is without finding fault. He's not going to condemn you. He's not going to kick you while you're down. He's going to give you generously from his storehouse of wisdom. And how many knows that God's wisdom is complete and it's continual and it will never disappoint. God's wisdom. He'll give it to you. I'd rather have God's wisdom than any kind of wisdom, amen? And he will give it to you. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is the spirit of wisdom. Holy Spirit, oh, spirit of wisdom, spirit of Christ, won't you come and and reveal to us what God's word says, Holy Spirit, about this, how to steward our treasure. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing godly people into my life that's going to speak into my life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for even giving me the experiences uh, in my life that's going to help me not only to grow, but also to help others to grow in godly wisdom. So, as I close out today, and I thought we'd be going a little bit longer, but actually we're not. This is good. Recognize God owns everything. Be content. Save for the future. Give generously. Invest wisely. Avoid debt. And seek godly wisdom. This is a practical but yet very spiritual message today. And if you're here for the first time, please know this. I don't talk about tithing. I don't talk about money very much. But when I do, I try to make it count. If you notice, we didn't even receive an offering here this morning. We don't do that because this is between you and the Lord. And I learned a long time ago that any amount of special music or imploring that we have up here for an offertory and all that sort of stuff does not make a difference in what you're going to give. And I'm just not going to manipulate. I'm just not going to manipulate your heart. We have those receptacles in the back on the left and the right of the door. And some of you give online. Some of you put them in those receptacles. And this is between you and the Lord as to what you want to give. But I do hope that you'll give generously and you'll give gladly and you'll give faithfully and you'll give as a way, in, in the way that we talked about here this morning. And I believe that these seven points I really trust practically yet spiritually because again, money has a very spiritual aspect to it. Jesus talked about it more than he talked about anything else. And I just want to make sure that you're a good steward. And I hope these seven points will help you to be a good steward of the treasure that God has entrusted into your care. As I said a couple of weeks ago, and Tim, if you would, Jesus is the pearl of great price. In that parable that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is worth giving our all to. I want you to understand something this morning. We have purchased Jesus 
with our money, with our talents, with our time, with our relationships, with our possessions, with our very lives. Jesus, as we're believers in him, as we're followers of Christ, he owns everything in our lives. He owns it all. And he's placed that that he's given, that we've given to him, that he's got his title, name to the title deed. He's given it back to us. He says, here you go. You can, here's your body. Here's your talents. Here's your, here's your uh, house. Here's your uh, abilities to work. Here's your money in your bank. All that stuff that you think is yours, it's not, it's mine, but I give it back to you on loan to steward. And when I need it, I'm going to call you up on it. I need you. I need your money. I need that item. I need your talent. I need your time. And we say, sure, because it's not mine anyway. You own it. I'm stewarding it. So what do I need to do? I'm here. What do I need to give? Here it is. Because it's his, not ours. When he calls us to give of our time and talent and treasure that he's entrusted into our care. Church, let's be quick to do it and with a glad and willing heart to give it. Those things that we do, those things that we give, those things that we prioritize for Jesus are the only things that we will be able to take with us to heaven. And they're the only things that will last for all of eternity. I would ask you to stand with me this morning as we close out this time together. I told you I wasn't going to take an offering and told you you could protect your wallets. But maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning saying, well, there's one or two or five or six or all seven of those things that I really need to work on. I don't know. But this is between you and the Lord. And again, I'm not trying to get your money. I want you to live your best blessed life in Him. And our money is a really, really tough sticking point for, for, for most of us. Jesus knew our heart in that. That's why He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So where's your heart today? It's, again, between you and the Lord. No condemnation. No criticism, no guilt trips, but an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I, I don't want to be this way anymore. Today, I want to draw a line and say, how I was is not how I'm going to be in the area of my finances to steward them well for you, right? It's just like that. So let's bow our heads. And let's just do some business with the Lord for just a few moments. And if you're at home watching this on Facebook, do the same. Turn off your electronics and put your dog in the other room for a minute. It's just, it's just you and the Lord right now. All right, Lord, we're, we're here realizing very clearly that the time that you've given us belongs to you. The talent that you've given us belongs to you. And the treasure that you've given us well, it belongs to you. And Lord, maybe we've not been faithful to that. 
Maybe we have painted ourselves in a corner financially where we feel like we can't even give a dollar. But Lord, we can. The very excuse that we have that we can't give a dollar and yet we'll go out instead of getting a hamburger after lunch, after church today, we'll go get us a steak and we spend that extra $10 difference or whatever it would be on us. Because we just keep taking care of us and we think ah you'll be alright but Lord help us to understand you don't need our money you need our hearts and Father instead of money having us and it's grip Father help us to not hold on so tightly to it and be so selfish with it but instead that we would give generously be free be a conduit and begin to release a generous heart a glad and giving heart for all of us. Whether it be a dollar or whether it be our time or talent, let us be glad to give. Rewire us. Restructure us. Empty us out and get us all put back together again like it needs to be for your glory. Today, it's with our treasure. Pour it out and reconstruct us, Jesus, into how we need to be. That's the permission that we give you. Won't you give God the permission right now to pour you out and all that stuff that makes you how you are in your engagement with your finances. Let's say, all right, God, now you take out the stuff that doesn't belong, that generosity, or rather that stinginess, that fear, that selfishness, that thinking about me first and that manipulation and trying to walk around with my hand out and using credit cards and all that sort of stuff. That, that, that's not of you. You're not pleased with that. Take that stuff out. Just clean me up. Get all that ugh, stuff out. And then, Lord, replace it with the things of you, whatever that looks like. Generosity, faith and trust in you. Being wise, investing, all those things that we looked about here today, Lord, and anything else that you need to add to it. And then repack it in my heart so that going forward that you'll remind me every time I pull out that credit card, every time I click on that same thing that says buy now online, every time I look at the menu or go to the store or do the thing that's going to involve money, every time I am tempted to get a new car, a new iPhone, the latest and the greatest then and whatever, help, me to re- help us to realize, Lord, that there's a dollar connected to that. Is a commitment connected to that, that? That is that what you want us to do? Is that a wise investment, or can we take that money and sow it more wisely into the things of your kingdom that are eternal? Or none of us are going to stand up in heaven one day and say, "I made sure to get the latest and greatest iPhones that came out as soon as they came out." God's going to say, well, "What did you do for my kingdom?" Lord, help us to realize these things strip away the junk and put in there what needs to go in there that is of you for your kingdom for your glory because everything is connected to a soul we give that to you today Lord Jesus we give you our hearts repack us walk us walk with us from here walk with us in our decision making and help us Lord God to build the muscle of generosity the muscle of contentment the muscle of wisdom in our financial stewardship instead of the other muscles that we've been using up to this point that have not been pleasing to you. 
We give you our lives. We give you our wallets. We give you our checkbooks. We give you our bank accounts. We give you our investments. We give you everything that impacts our lives in the area of finances and treasure. May we use them for your glory. Here's our prayer. And we thank you for this. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us next week as we continue to learn from God's Word and apply it to our lives.